This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. You hardly need me to tell you where to turn your Bible tonight, sure you don't. It's probably marked already. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we are going through this little letter to the church at Philippi, Paul's love letter to the Philippians. And uh, we're halfway through. I think this is part four tonight. Uh, so we're almost there. There's some tremendous verses in here, some of the uh, greatest statements in Scripture found in Philippians. Paul, as you remember, wrote this 10 years after he founded the church. He's writing from Rome as a prisoner under house arrest. And he's concerned about the church at Philippi. He loves this church. They love him. There's a deep affection and affinity between them. And he wants to encourage them and inspire them. In spite of his present circumstances, uh, he's full of joy. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, uh, with joy, thinking about you with joy. And so that's his heart towards these people. So coming in now to chapter 3. Finally, my brethren. Finally here simply means after all of that, after all I've said. It doesn't mean he's finished. In chapter 4, verse 8, when he does say finally, he does mean finally as we would think of it. Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. In other words, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Even though I am repeating myself again and again, 17 times in this short letter, he mentions joy and rejoice and rejoicing. Over and over again, he mentions being of one mind. And so he repeats himself a lot in this letter, but he says, it's not tedious to me. I don't mind. In fact, for you, it's good for you that I do this. It's safe for you. It's right for you to hear this. The Apostle Peter also had that same thought when he writes his second epistle, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He said to these people, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent or this body to stir up you, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Uh, part of all learning is repetition, isn't it? Your teacher in school will tell you over and over and over again. We need to hear things repeatedly because sometimes we're a wee bit dull, aren't we? And, and sometimes we need to hear things several times before the penny actually drops. Ah, I get it now. But we've heard it so many times. Well, Paul is telling them again to rejoice in the Lord always. Then he said, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. 
For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Who is he referring to here? Beware of dogs. Not talking about the four-legged kind. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Uh, mutilation actually is the, the exact meaning of circumcision. So who's he talking about? Well, in order to understand that, you've got to think back a little bit. You see, when the church was born, the gospel was to the Jew first. We have a lot to be thankful for for the Jewish people. Yes. Our Lord and Savior was born a Jew. The scriptures, by and large, were given by the Jew. And Paul never, ever denied his honor and feeling that he was a Jew. He never hid it in any way. He was proud of it. But what had happened in the early church was the gospel was to the Jew first. The trouble was they had the notion it was to them first and last. That it would never go any further than them. But then you remember that Peter absolutely rocked the church to its foundations. Because whenever Peter went to the house of Cornelius, after seeing that vision when he lay on the roof of Simon the Tanner, about all those creepy crawlies and all these beasties that was on it. And the Lord says, Arise, slay and eat. He says, No, Lord, it's not kosher. I can't touch that. And the Lord says, What I have cleansed, don't you call on common? He says, No. And then the men showed up and they, he went to the house of Cornelius. Uh, he never would have ever thought of darkening a, a door of a Gentile, never mind a Roman centurion. But he did, being led by the Lord. And when he got there, remember what happened? They came, they got saved. And they got filled with the Holy Spirit. That rocked the early church to its foundations. They were not expecting that. And in fact, Peter was called to give an account of that. And he told them, he says, well, it's the Lord. The Lord appeared to me, gave me a vision. He, he instructed me to go, and I went. And, and the same thing happened to them as happened to us in Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, and they got saved and filled, and, yeah. and they believed him. But not all were happy with it. And then the Apostle Paul comes along. And he starts to go right to the Gentiles directly. Now, you see, the church at Jerusalem didn't mind if you were a Jew and you get saved. Or if you were a proselyte, if you were a Gentile who became a Jew, who accepted Judaism as their faith, and then got saved. But if you bypassed the Jewish bit, they were up in arms. And Paul was bypassing all of that, and he was going straight to the Gentiles. And not only that, he was telling them, you don't have to keep those ordinances. You don't have to keep those rituals and things. You don't have to keep the law that regards those things. He says, accept him by grace. It's by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, and so forth. And that caused a whole furore too. And so there was a conference in Acts 15, you can read it. There was a conference held in Jerusalem at headquarters, as it were. And after all was said and done, then they believed Paul. And the only restrictions they were going to put on the Gentiles was that they weren't to eat anything with blood. They weren't to eat anything strangled and so forth. They weren't to be involved in immorality. There was a, just a few things. And if you do this, if you keep away from that, fine. 
But all of the rituals and all of the other stuff that went along with Judaism, no. Accept Christ by grace and live by grace and don't get yourself under the bondage of the law. But having that happen, you would think that would be the end of it. But no, there were still dissenters. There were still those within the Jewish faith, within the Christian Jewish faith, who would not accept this. And they became known as Judaizers, those who wanted to mix law and grace together. And Paul says, you can't do it. God has delivered us from the law. He's given us grace. Don't go under the bondage of that again. And everywhere Paul went, they followed him. And they infiltrated churches. And he's calling them dogs. You see, the Orthodox Jew at that time would have called Gentiles dogs. So he's turned it back on these ones. Now, dogs, particularly in the East, and <laughs> they very often are like, <laughs> there's something that's unclean. They go about in packs, and, uh, and they're dangerous, and they would attack. And so this is an apt picture of these so-called spiritual, so-called spiritual people that were actually like dogs who would attack and who would destroy and who would disrupt and who would cause problems. And so he says, beware of the evil works, beware of the mutilation. These were people who were saying, listen, it's okay, you can be saved, but you've got to be circumcised. You've got to come under the law of Moses. And then you can be saved. And Paul says, no. No, he says, circumcision doesn't profit anything. Spiritually, it doesn't profit anything anymore. It's by grace are you saved through faith. So he says, beware of them, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. These people were boasting about their heritage and boasting about how they kept the law and boasting about all the things they were as, as, as Orthodox Jews, even though they said they accepted Christ, but they didn't want to give up this. They boasted in that. Paul says, nor boast is in Christ, it's not in that. And then he goes on to say, he says, well, <laughs> I also might have confidence in the flesh. If they're boasting about their upbringing and their heritage and what they had believed and what they have done, he says, then surely I more. This is what he's saying, listen to it. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. And so, he's letting them know right from he was born, right on the eighth day, traditionally, that's when the male was circumcised. He said, that happened to me. I'm the stock of Israel. Then he goes on to say, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was uh, a small tribe, but it was a tribe that was particularly faithful to the Davidic kingdom. It was a tribe who Mordecai, and Esther were Benjamites. The first king of Israel was a Benjamite. So he's letting them know, hey, listen, I've got pedigree. You want to boast in it? Well, let me boast just a little bit in it too. Let me tell you what, I, what the pedigree I've got. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Both mom and dad were Hebrews. No mixed blood on me, he said. Pure Hebrew from beginning to end. That's me. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. In fact, not only when he mentions it, from beginning to end. That's me. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
In fact, not only when he mentions that, he, he met, when he says a Hebrew of the Hebrew, it's more than just he was born to Jewish parents, but it was what he, how he was raised. You know, Paul was a, a fluent speaker in Hebrew. Even though he was born in, in Tarsus, but he was a fluent speaker in Hebrew. Uh, in fact, if you read the end of Acts 21 and the beginning of Acts 22, you see when, uh, when there was a whole big row about him and so forth, these Judaizers stirred things up and, uh, and the captain didn't know what to do with him. And he says, listen, just, please, just let me speak to this crowd. And he spoke in perfect Hebrew and they all kept silent and they listened to him. He could also speak Aramaic too. He was a very clever very skilled and schooled man, Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees were the most meticulous, most orthodox of all of the Jewish people. They followed the laws to the nth degree. Not only were they content with God's laws, but they made man-made laws to kind of keep God's laws. That's how meticulous they were. He says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Boy, nobody was more zealous than I was, he says, when it came to persecuting the church. Just the way you're persecuting the church, nobody was more zealous than me at that. He went to Damascus, he went to a foreign country, he went to the capital of Syria to bring back people and to put them in the jail and put them in trial. Concerning righteousness which in the law, blameless. I kept all the rules and regulations I was not at fault in any of them. That's some pedigree, isn't it? So he says, you want to boast about your pedigree? He says, hey, listen, I've got some too. I've got some history as well. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Here's what he's saying. All of that stuff, when I met Christ, it didn't amount to hell of beans. Everything I was depending on, everything I was trusting in, everything I could boast about, everything about my heritage. He says, I was right up there. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He sat at the feet of the top rabbi in all Israel. And he was depending on that. He was trusting in all of that. He was trusting in his religion. He was trusting in his rites. He was trusting in his rituals. But when he met Christ, he says, it didn't amount to hell of beans. He says, now I trust him. My boast is in Christ. You know, there's many people today and they're trusting in their church and they're trusting in all that they've been brought up in and they're in the choir or they're a warden or maybe they're a deacon, maybe even an elder, maybe even a preacher and they trust all of that to save them but unless they know Christ as their personal Savior, it won't amount to anything on that day. My wee mother, God bless her. I told you before, the Presbyterian minister couldn't get her to go to church. Tried everything. And then eventually he went to Australia, got saved, come back. He came to her door, he says, Mrs. Gowdy, can I come in and talk to you? She says, yes, of course you can, Reverend. He says, you know, I went to Australia on a holiday, and he says, I got saved. I got born again. <laughs> can you imagine that? Oh, she says, wonderful. She's thinking it took you a long time, but wonderful just the same. 
How's your husband, Mrs. Gouda? Oh, he's not too well. Can I pray for him? Can I lay hands on him and pray for him? Can you believe that? All of those years, minister of that church for all of those years, but wasn't born again, didn't know the Lord personally, trusting in all of that until he met Christ, and then he was changed. So there's many people today, and they would never think of missing church, but they're not saved. I remember one time knocking the doors in Moira, witnessing for Christ. And this lady came out, lovely lady, and we got chatting. And uh, I says, well, are you a church-going person? She says, I am. She says, I'm in the choir. Oh, I says, I'm glad to hear that. That's nice. <coughs> but then you learn that maybe you need to ask a little bit more than that. So I says, well, can I ask you now, seeing you go to church and you're a regular tender, and I know the minister in that church, actually, I know him, and seeing you're in the choir, are you born again? She says, no. She says, no, I'm not. And I know I should be, but I'm not. But she says, I love the choir. <laughs> I says, well, actually, you probably shouldn't be in the choir. Really, she says, Yes. You need to be born again. You're singing about the Lord. You're singing about his sacrifice on the cross, but you're not born again. Well, she says, I know I need to be. But she says, uh, you know, it's getting a wee bit late. <laughs> and then the excuses come out. But she says, I love my choir. <laughs> and that's what she was counting on. Hoping against hope that maybe going to church, being in the choir, doing these things would be enough. Apostle Paul says, what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. There's two kinds of righteousness, self-righteousness and the righteousness that we find by faith, by believing in Christ. And for all of those years, Paul's righteousness was his keeping the commandments and keeping the law and keeping the ordinances and that was his cloak of righteousness. If I do all of this, I will be right with God. Self-righteousness. Hardest people in the world to witness to are self-righteous people. They already think they're good enough. In fact, they think they're better than you are. In fact, they think everybody else is a hypocrite. But they're righteous, you see. But then there's a righteousness, the true righteousness, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And once Paul put his trust in the Lord, once he did that, then he saw through all of that self-righteousness which came by the law. So he said, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. Some 30 years after his salvation, he's still saying that I might know him. 
We're still knowing him, aren't we? There's still so much more to know regarding him. But knowing him and knowing about him is two different things, as we all know. So it wasn't knowing about him, it was knowing him in a personal way. And boy, we have a lot to know when it comes to him in a personal way. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The resurrection life of Christ that's in me, he said. I want to know more about the power of that. This is a miracle worker. This is a man who raised the dead and he's still saying that I might know the power of his resurrection. But then he said, on the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I'm, well, I doubt, let me put it that way, I doubt if any of us has ever prayed that prayer. Lord, I want to know, I want to enter in to your sufferings. Now, he's not talking about Jesus' sufferings on the cross. Nobody could enter into that. But the sufferings for following Christ, the sufferings, and he knew all about this. I mean, you could read what he went through for Christ. But he actually says, I want to know your sufferings. I want to embrace it. I've never prayed that prayer, have you? Huh? That's some prayer to pray, isn't it? Whew. What a man. The fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. Some people believe in perfection spiritually, that you can be perfected in this earth. As long as you live in this earth, as long as you live in this body of flesh, you're never going to be perfect. C.H. Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, was at a conference one time and the, another preacher was preaching on Christian perfection. Spurgeon just sat there, didn't say a word. He didn't believe a word of it, by the way. He didn't say anything. He waited till lunch break and everybody was in the big canteen having lunch. He never said a word. He just went over. He took a big jug of milk and he just poured it all over the preacher's head. He says, we found out in two seconds that he wasn't perfected. <laughs> found out very quickly he wasn't perfected since at all. <laughs> he put him to the test. Paul says, I, I, I haven't I haven't fully been perfected yet. That's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, this man is miles ahead of any of us. And he still said, I'm still not perfect yet. Haven't been perfected yet. God's still working on me. Aren't you glad God's still working on you? Aren't you glad he's full of patience and tender mercies and long-suffering? He has to be when he's working with us, hasn't he? Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. The word is dioko. I persistently pursue. I follow after intently. 
That's his meaning. I haven't got there yet, but everything in me is going for it. I'm not resting on my laurels. I don't believe I've arrived. When you think you've arrived and you think you know it all, too bad. Somebody said there's only one thing worse than somebody that knows nothing, and that's somebody that knows everything. He says, I press on. I follow after. I pursue persistently and diligently. He uses that exact same word in Galatians 1.13. Where he says, I persecuted the church. Dioko, same word. I diligently pursued persecution of the church, and we know that he did. Even to Damascus, even to the capital of Syria, he had went to the ends of the earth to persecute Christians. And that drive, that force, that energy, that determination that he had to persecute the church. He says, now I'm using that to follow after Christ with all of my heart and with all of my energy. Isn't it great to see people getting saved who maybe lived a prolific life and they just lived a horrible, awful, awful life and they get saved. But just as bad as they were in sin, they become as purposeful and is persistent in their faith. And they go for God. And you can see a great transformation. This is what the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I have a Bible in my library. It was a Bible that my uh, late brother-in-law gave me. Somebody gave it to him, and he, he used it just for reference. Never preached it, but just used it for reference. But they put on the flyleaf in the front cover, inside the front cover his name, and then he put from pub to pulpit because he was a drunkard. He was an alcoholic, got saved on his deathbed, and he became a great preacher of the gospel till the day he died. And all that energy he put into that lifestyle, he turned it around, God turned it around, and he drove forward for Christ till the day he died. So Paul says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Do you know that Christ has laid hold on you for something? He's consciously, deliberately put his hand in your life. He's grabbed you. He's laid hold on you for something. That I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So in other words, the Lord has laid hold on my life for something, so I want to lay hold on that. Whatever that something is, I want to lay hold on that. He knew what it was. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't fully laid hold on everything yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press... <laughs> There's that word again, dioko. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I haven't fully laid hold on everything he's laid hold on me for. Haven't quite got there yet. But he says, I'm pressing on to do it. I want it. 
I desperately want it. I'm laying hold of it. I'm grabbing it with both hands as hard as I can. This one thing I do. Paul did more than one thing. He had a lot in his plate. He was a preacher par excellence. He was a great Bible teacher. He was the greatest missionary evangelist ever lived on the face of the earth. He raised up churches everywhere he went. He ordained men into ministry. He wrought miracles. He did all of that. So he was a busy, busy man. He was always on journeys reaching people for Christ. But he says there's one thing. All of that culminates in one thing, that I might win Christ, that I may lay hold on everything he's laid hold of me for, that I may serve him passionately. That was his one thing, follower of Christ, forgetting those things which are behind. Now listen, let me just say this. It is well nigh impossible to forget stuff that happened in your past. And he knows that. That's not exactly what he's saying. Many of you have had things happen in your past that's very, very, very difficult not to be reminded of many, many times continue. Some of these you're reminded every day of your life. But he said, what he means is, don't allow that to spoil your present and your future. Don't allow that to hold you back. Forgetting those things which are behind. Listen, we know they happened. They were awful. They were bad. They were hurtful. They were painful. You went through it. But you may never forget it. But don't allow that to hold you back from going forward in Christ. This man went through umpteen things. He lists them. If you read them, he didn't forget them. He remembered everyone. Every stripes he got in his back, he counted every single one of them. He didn't forget them. But what he didn't do was allow them to hold him back. He didn't stop him from going for God. Amen? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. There is so much more ahead in Christ. Even in this life, never mind the next life, there's so much more ahead that we can go for, that we can strive for, that we can reach out. You think of the, the runner in the race, how he's stretching. You see them coming to that last, particularly the 100 yard or the 100 meter sprint. You see them, they're stretching their neck out. They're stretching their chest out. They've got to hit that tape. They're stretching to do it, they're reaching out. So Paul says, keep stretching. Keep reaching out. There's more ahead for us if we reach for it. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has called me. I'm following him. I'm trusting him. I'm serving him. I'm loving him. I'm looking for more. I want everything he has for me. He says, I'm going for it. He's encouraging these Philippians. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Ah. 
So those who are mature, he says, have this mind. Think like this. And if you're not mature, you think otherwise, God will reveal it unto you. Just hang in there. You'll learn sooner or later as you go on. God will reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who also walk as you have us for a pattern. The word example there means a model, an impression, a mark. So he says, I and others like me, and he probably was referring to Timothy and to Silas and Dr. Luke and ones that the church would know. He says, use that as a template. Keep watching our walk in Christ. Look at how we follow the Lord. And he says, then you just follow us. We have left a mark. We've left the signposts. We've shown you the way. He says, now you just keep following. He's not being egotistical here. He really isn't. Because he says, I follow the Lord. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, who's he talking about here? <coughs> whose God is their belly, who mind earthly things. Well, you see, the Apostle Paul, the time he was ministering, already there was, there was false teaching and false teachers creeping into the church. The Judaizers were at one bunch, but there was others. And there was a teaching that had come into the church that would become greater, would become Gnosticism, would be called greater. Uh, and... And what it basically was this, there was those who believed that, that your spirit and your soul could be saved, but this body, which was material, uh, was, could not be sanctified, uh, could not be tamed, could not be controlled. Yet Paul says, mortify the deeds of the flesh, put the death of the deeds of the flesh. But they says, no, you can't. And because you can't, we'll just let it have free course. You can love the Lord, you can be saved, but you can do whatever you like in the body. It doesn't matter. You can be sensual, hedonistic, do everything you like with your body. There's people who believe that today, you know. You, you can see almost a little bit of Hollywoodness, you know, a little bit of, of where, uh, you know, well, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual, but I can live whatever way I like. Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus the same way as I believe in Buddha or Krishna. doesn't matter what you believe. You're spiritual. But with your body, you can do whatever you like. And Paul was up against that too. There were those who were coming in and said, well, you really don't have to be that fanatical, you know, because this old body, it'll do what it wants to do, so just let it go ahead and do that. God doesn't mind because that body's just like that. So Paul says this is terrible. 
This is awful. He says, whose glory is their shame. The things that are shameful, they gloried in it. Who set their mind on earthly things. So Paul is dealing with all kinds of things and people and stuff that was creeping into the church and he was having to write to these churches and deal with it. Then he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now he's just mentioning this, by the way, because Philippi, as we've told you several times in this teaching, was a Roman colony. Even though it was Macedonia, even though they were Greek-speaking, because Caesar Augustus made it a Roman colony, it became something, uh, well, almost like Rome outside of Rome. When you went to Philippi, you might as well have been in Rome because they all were now Roman citizens. And they were under Roman law, not Greek law, but Roman law, even though it was in Macedonia. Anybody's ever visited Rome? Anybody has ever gone to the Vatican in Rome? If you, as soon as you walk into the Vatican in Rome, you're walking into a different country. It's separate from Italy. It's a state on its own. And Philippi was like a Roman state on its own. And you had citizenship. And there was many privileges went with that citizenship. The Apostle Paul had Roman citizenship. And one time he claimed that to get out of jail. We talked about that the other week, didn't we? But he's reminding them, that's in the natural, that's earthly. But he says, our citizenship, our true citizenship is not really that Roman citizenship you have in Philippi. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. We're just passing through this earth for a while. Anybody ever visit Parish Court, County Wicklow? Just a few of us. Lady, Lady Parish Court was a wonderful Christian lady. She used to hold prophetic conferences in that great big manor house of a place. And she says, my home is heaven. I just come to earth for a few hours each day to do my work and then I go back in the evening to my home. Now she wasn't being new age or anything like that there. She's just making the point. Really, my citizenship is in heaven. I've work to do on earth, but actually my citizenship is in heaven. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. And that's what he sent us tonight. We are just pilgrims in this land. Our time will be short. It'll be like a breath but then there's all eternity because that's where citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Paul, even though he wrote about it in Corinthians, he always liked to slip in this fact that all the limitations that we have on this earth by this body one day will be over. And we'll have a body like his glorious body that will be unlimited, unlimited in time, unlimited in space. Jesus was able just to pass through a wall 
and appear in a room. How could that happen? I have no idea. There's not a man in this world could tell us how that happens. But God can do whatever he wants to do. And one day you will have a body like his glorious body, unlimited in time and space, so we can serve him throughout all eternity of the eternities. And Paul always liked to remind it to his readers, hey, listen, I know you're limited. I know you get tired. I know you're being persecuted. I know you get hurt at times. But one day, all of this will be over. And forever and forever, you'll have a body, a resurrection body, like his glorious body. Amen? Amen. So God willing, next Sunday morning, we'll come into our last chapter. I'm not too sure at this point whether that will be the last message on it or whether there will be two to finish. But we'll come into chapter four. It's a lovely book, isn't it? There's just so many wonderful things to think about when you get into it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.